Hey, Victory Church, how you doing? Come on, let me hear you. Good morning, good morning. Uh, my name is Troy, my wife Darla and I, it's, uh, we were so blessed to be able to be your pastors. Uh, I want to give you a couple of things that are going on or that have happened before we get into the Word today that are exciting to think about. First of all, you heard us announce over the past couple weeks about our meet and greet. Well, Tuesday night, we gathered in our Dream Team Care room, had a room packed full of our leadership, and then some people who have visited probably over the past three or four months and have been coming to Victory and checking it out, and they were able to come and hear about past, present, future. Darla and I just kind of shared our story. We had the opportunity to answer questions about theology and finances, and it was just a fantastic time, and it was so cool to see a diverse group of people, both in ethnicity and age, and just excited about what God's doing right here at Victory, and it went so well that I want to let you know that we're going to start doing these frequently, maybe four to six times a year. Uh, so if, if you're new or you've been coming for a while and you haven't been able to get connected, look for when those meetings are happening and try to be there. It's just a great time for you to really take that next step into feeling like you're a part of the Victory family. And so thank you to those that were there and thank you to those that are planning to be there in the future. Also, thank you to all of those that give financially through tithes and offerings every week, every month. To Victory, we always like to share what God's doing through those finances. Obviously, there's a great ministry happening uh, every Sunday as we've launched two services and getting ready to go into the summer and the fall. We have great, exciting things coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I want to talk to you a little bit about what we're doing outside of the four walls. There's, there's always something seems to be going on every week, but something I wanted to announce that happened a couple weeks ago. We partner with Youth for Christ, which is a ministry that is inside some of the Antioch schools, and they have two different groups. There's a group that's just boys and girls in the school, but then there's a group for young mothers and young fathers. And so that group specifically, we were able to get to partner with Youth for Christ, and we helped put on a movie night where the parents got to come and, and the kids were, were watched and taken care of, and they got to enjoy a movie, popcorn, refreshments, by themselves, all right? So if, if you're a parent general, you know what that means, right? But could you imagine being a young parent? There were 36 kids there, and I think there were over 20-something uh, young who were the parents and fathers, and we were able to provide popcorn and refreshments, and it was just cool. And here's, here's my favorite part about Victory, is we come in with no strings attached. We weren't asking for anything, any praise, any attention. We just wanted to love on them in the name of God. We wanted to love on them in the name of Victory. And so I just thank you. I thank you for those of you that are faithful. Every week, we're able to do these things, and even though you may not be able to be there physically, we're a you're able to be there financially. Uh, next week, I'll talk, or two weeks from now, I'll talk a little bit about what we did at the abuse shelter this past week. And God is just doing so many great things through our church, not just right here in the four walls, but outside. And we could not do it without those that are supporting it through tithes and offerings. And maybe you're in today and say, I'd, I'd like to start tithing. You can do that. Visit our website, scan the QR code, you'll learn more about it. Um, but we'd love to do it. Amen? Yeah. You ready for the word? Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to Romans, book of Romans. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go to chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. It'll be on the app and, of course, your Bible. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context of what we're doing in this series. The series is called Following Jesus, and we're kind of going back to the basics of what it looks like to, for you and I to have a discipling relationship with Jesus day today. And so the first week we talked about how to spend time with Jesus. The second week we talked about the Bible. The third week we talked about how the Holy Spirit changes us. Last week, Miss Darla brought the recipe. All right, yeah. She did so good. I'm fearing for my job at this current moment. Um, and then today I want to talk to you about water, baptism, and communion. Uh, I think this is something that if we're not careful, we can just kind of 
hard to do out of tradition. We can do it because everybody else in line is doing it. And we lose the reason and the, and the heart behind it and therefore some of the impact of it. And so we're going to break it down a little bit today. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. I'll start reading to about verse 11 and then we'll get specific here. This is the Apostle Paul talking. Keep in mind that, that what's happening in, in religion that day, in, in the spiritual realm that day, is this legalistic mindset, right? So everybody's kind of thinking, I've got to perform to, to be saved, to be able to get to heaven. And Jesus comes in with the new message, the new covenant. He dies on the cross, resurrects from the grave, uh, ascends to heaven. And now the Apostle Paul, who's been transformed, the disciples are preaching the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so keep that in mind as Paul says this to the church in Rome. He says, since we've been united with him and his death, him being Jesus, we will also be raised to life as Jesus was. So we've been united in his death, we'll also be raised to life. For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that, the, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this. How do we know this, Troy? How do we know this, Apostle Paul? We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, because he resurrected, and he'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him, and when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, now that he's alive, he lives for the glory of God. And here's one of my favorite parts. So you and I also should consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Come on, can we give God praise for a second? It's exciting news. We're not slaves to sin. We're alive in Christ I want to talk to you for a moment this morning from this idea. This is the title, Why Water, Bread, and Wine? Why, why Water, Bread, and Wine? You say, well, Troy, that's not a really creative sermon title. Uh, I wanted people to be able to see the sermon online and know what we're talking about. I wanted them to be able to go, I want to know more about water, baptism, and communion, and watch the sermon. So to all of our viewers online, there you go. Let's get into it. There was this woman who was making meatloaf for her kids, uh, it, was a, it was a common meal weekly for them to make meatloaf, and, and she would make the meatloaf, and then she would cut about three inches off of the right side, ball it up, throw it in the trash, cut about three inches off of the left side, ball it up, throw it in the trash, and then she put it in the oven. One day, her husband watched her doing it, and he came over to her after it was over, and he said, honey, why, why do you cut the edges off of the meatloaf? And she said, well, it's a family tradition. He said, okay, why? What is the family tradition? And she said, well, to be honest with you, I don't know. She said, my mom always did it when I was growing up. I never asked her. And so maybe I'll ask her next time I see her. And so a couple of weeks go by or whatever it might be, and she's with her mom. And she goes, mom, I got a question. She said, whenever you make the meatloaf, you always cut three inches off the right side, three inches off the left side. And, and you know, my husband asked me, and I was curious, why do we do it? Her mom said, it's a family tradition. She said, great, but, but what is the family tradition? And she said, well, to be honest with you, I don't know. Uh, your grandma always did it. And so she goes to talk to her mom, the grandma. And she says, grandma, I've got to ask you a question. She said, when we were growing up, you would make this meatloaf, and you would always cut about three inches off the right side, and you'd cut about three inches off the left side, and you'd put the meatloaf on the pan, and you'd put it in the oven. And, and now I do it, and now my daughter does it, your granddaughter, and I think we do it because it's a family tradition. Is, is it a family tradition? And her grandma or her mom started to laugh. And she said, no, honey, I just didn't have a pan big enough for the meatloaf to fit, right? 
so she had to cut it. And so you say, well, that's a silly story, Troy. Uh, I, I tell you that because sometimes we can do things out of tradition and out of ritual and not really know why we do them, right? And not really know the heart behind it and the reason behind it. And I want to make sure as a church that we aren't just walking in a direction because it's the direction we're supposed to go. I want to make sure that you're not just following me because it's not illegal, right? I want to make sure that we know exactly why we are doing certain things. And when it comes to water baptism and communion, I think it's important that if we're going to do them, which we should, we know why we're doing them. In Christianity, there are some traditions and there are some rituals that the Word of God has given us. And two of those are water baptism and communion. And you'll actually often hear a lot of times that they're referred to as an ordinance of the church. And they're an ordinance of the church because they are two things that Jesus himself told us to do. In the scriptures, Jesus says you should be baptized. In the scriptures, Jesus encouraged us to take communion. But here's the coolest part about it. Jesus just doesn't just tell us to do it. He actually does it himself. Jesus gets baptized. Jesus takes communion because there's nothing in Scripture that Jesus tells us to do that he hasn't already done himself. But I think if Jesus was present physically here today with the microphone, he would say, I don't want you to just do it because I told you to do it. I want you to know why you're doing it. I want you to know the heart behind it and the reason behind it because if so, you will do it with more passion and more excitement than doing it just because it's something you should do. Now, let me explain this to you. Baptism nor communion are necessary for salvation, okay? Baptism and communion are not necessary for salvation. You are saved by the blood of Jesus, and that's it, and that was enough. You are saved because Jesus died for your sins. So when you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe he died for his sins, you are saved. Whether you get baptized in water and whether you take communion or not, you're saved. They're not about salvation, but they are commands of God that are used to strengthen our faith and reassure our hearts. And when we fully understand them, we will appreciate them more and we will value them more. So as followers of Jesus, when you and I choose to follow Jesus, I think we should be baptized in water. And I think when it's possible an opportunity arises, we should take communion. But I want to explain to you why. So let's start with this. Why should I be baptized in water, Troy? Why should I be? I know about it. I've heard about it. But why should I be baptized in water? First, let's jump to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. I want you to read this, how it explains baptism. It says, in baptism, in water baptism, we show that we have been saved from death and doom by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We've been saved by Christ. I love this part. Not because our bodies are washed clean by the water. That's not what it's not a glorified holy bath, right? We're not being washed of our sins, but because in being baptized, we are turning to God and asking Him to cleanse our hearts of sin from sin. When we are baptized in water, we are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? When we're baptized in water, watch this, it's, it's a physical representation. Uh, it's a symbolic gesture of what's happening spiritually inside of us when someone receives Christ as their Savior. So it's a 
physical representation of what's happening spiritually inside of you and me when we accept Christ as our Savior. It's not just a public declaration of our faith, although it is. It is a public declaration of our faith. It's an opportunity for us to say, hey, I'm choosing to follow Jesus Christ. But it's not just a public declaration. It's also an illustration of what happened to us because of Jesus Christ. So it's a public declaration. Look at me. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. But it's also a literal illustration, and I'm going to show you this, of what happens to us in Christ. There was a tradition, I'm not sure if it's still happening today, in Jordan or in the Jordan River, whenever they would baptize people in the Jordan River, the individual that was being baptized would put on a white robe, and then over that white robe, they would put a dirty, uh, you know, cringy robe over it, and they would get into the water, and when the individual baptizing them put them underwater, while they were immersed underwater, they would take the dirty robe off, and when they would come out of the water, they would be in the white robe, symbolizing that before I went under there, I was dirty and covered in sin, but now that I've come out immersed with the water, I am washed white as snow. In other words, before Jesus, I was lost. Before Jesus, I was a sinner. Before Jesus, I was imperfect, but now because of Jesus, Jesus, I am made whole. Hallelujah. Right? What an what a illustration. What an action. In water baptism, we're showing what happened to Jesus, okay? When we go underwater, we're sim- symbolizing Jesus going into the grave and dying. And then we come out of the water, which we are now symbolizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave and the ascension into heaven. We are not only uh, uh, showing what happened to Jesus, but we're also showing what's happening to us. And that as we accept Christ as our Savior, we, the old us, the dead us, the sinning us, is now immersed in Christ. And now we're coming out brand new, resurrected in Jesus. I want to show you a picture that I think shows it really well because the Bible talks about being baptized into Christ. Now, when it says that, that does not mean water baptism. It's simply using the word baptized for a reason in a minute. I'll show you. But when, you say, when you're saved, Acts 16.31, Romans 6.3, Galatians 3.27, you are baptized into Christ. You are saved. In other words, you are immersed into Christ. And I love this. It says unsaved person outside of Christ, saved person, almost like a bubble, you are in Christ. When you're saved, you're not beside Christ. You're not below Jesus. You're not above Jesus. You are in Jesus, right? Darla and I got to go to this museum one time, and we're like big kids. And so we're playing around the museum. The kids, you know, our children are parenting us. They're like, come on, we need to leave. We're like, no. Yeah. And there was this huge thing, like a huge circle thing that you could grab and do this, and you could put yourself in a bubble. Like you were completely surrounded. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like, I'm in a bubble. I've always wanted, like, life goals. I wanted to be in a bubble. And now I'm in it. And that's the same picture that I am everywhere I look. Can you hear me? Everywhere I look is Jesus. He's up. He's down. He's beside. I am in the middle of Jesus. So watch this. Because Jesus is righteous and I'm in Jesus, guess what I am? Righteous. If you got a pregnant woman in church today, their baby is in church, but they're not in church because they want to be. They're in church because they're in her, right? So I'm righteous because I'm in Jesus. I'm righteous because I'm in Christ. So it's not about me. It's about who Jesus is because I'm in Jesus. I'm immersed. I'm immersed in Jesus. Way too excited for this, y'all. And I'm 38. 
That, that word baptism means immersion, which is why we use the word and we say water baptism, because now we are immersed in water. You are completely in water. You are immersed in the same way when you and I are saved, we are immersed in Jesus. When you said, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I want to follow Jesus Christ, because of that, you are immersed into Christ like that bubble picture showed and you are now righteous because Christ is righteous. You are now the son of God because Jesus is the son of God. You, you, are, you are everything that Jesus is because you are in Jesus. Does it make sense? You are immersed. So when we are immersed in water baptism, it's that symbol, symbolization of us being immersed into Jesus. So the lost us was immersed into Jesus, and then we came out still in Jesus, but washed and brand new. That's why we want to we go through it. We want to symbolize what God's doing inside of us. When Darla and I were on staff at a church in Memphis, uh, one of the things, I was the executive pastor at the time, and one of the things I was responsible for was um, going through and conducting water baptisms. And so it was my job to, to get everybody ready to teach them what water baptism was about and then to actually baptize them. And Tim Glimp was my right-hand man. And so we would always kind of run this whole process together. But it wasn't my job to fill up the baptismal tank. So we had a really large baptismal tank in the church the way it was. It was a huge sanctuary. And if this was the stage, the baptismal tank was like way up above the screen. It was way up there. And there were steps that went up there. And, it, and so if you were out in the crowd, all you could really see was like the neck up of the person being baptized. So you'd see them. They'd smile. You know, and then we'd dunk them underwater, bring them back. Everybody cheers. It was great. And, but there was an individual on staff who one of her many jobs task was to fill that baptismal tank up. So early on Sunday morning, she would fill it up, get it filled up, leave it. I wouldn't see the tank until seconds before I was about to get in the tank to baptize people. So in the back, you had a men's locker room and a women's locker room, and everybody would go and get changed. They'd walk up these, these steps, and they'd come up to the top, and Tim would be there by the ladies so he could physically let them into the pool. I'd be by the men because they can get in on their own, and we would be in there ready to do the whole baptismal thing. So this day, and, and during the service, we would do baptisms during the last song of worship. So worship would be hitting, you know, dun, 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 and people would come out, and they'd be, oh, hallelujah, la, la, la. like it was such a great thing. And so, so, sorry, so I'm up there and I'm, I'm getting ready, you know, I'm all excited, you know, worship team singing, Pastor Matt's getting ready to preach, I can't wait, I'm so excited. And when we look down and there's four inches of water in the water baptism tank, four inches. And I'm like, oh boy. Because at that point, what I can't do is I can't look out and be like, hey man, let's start service over real quick. Y'all good? Let's rewind. Let's wait 20 minutes till this tank gets filled. Like it took hours for the tank to get filled. So this wasn't going to happen. So I'm looking at Tim. Tim's looking at me. I'm looking at Tim. Tim's looking at me. We're not really sure what we're going to do about this, but I'm a problem solver, guys. I don't take no for an answer. And I realize that nobody in the audience actually knows if there's any water in the tank, right? They don't know. They think we got all the water in the world. So we came up with this plan. I'll make the people come into the tank and lay down all the way in the bottom of the tank, and we'll just start shoveling water over them. Get his toes. Get his face. He got to be immersed. Get it all. Just get him, get him good. Real good, Tim. Get him real good. You know, and then bring him up and be like, ah, it was great. <laughs> like, man, it took him 20 minutes to put him underwater. What happened? It was crazy. It was wild. But here was the funniest thing about it. Not one person who got baptized that day was upset about it. Not one was like, well, this doesn't count. I don't want to do it. You know, like, like they were just excited about what God was doing in their life. And so while that was silly and weird to them, they still were celebrating the fact that they were immersed in Jesus Christ because water baptism is a great celebration 
of the triumph of conversion. It's the great celebration of us being conversed, being immersed into Jesus. It's celebrating that we are saved by Jesus from doom and destruction. We're excited about it. So you can put me, you can lay me in water, you can drop me in water, put my head in the toilet, whatever's got to happen. I'm just excited to be saved by Jesus. Maybe not the toilet, but it's possible. Listen, as human beings, Every time that we do something that is, is cool or exciting or, or revolutionary for us, we celebrate it. We tell people about it. When you get married, you don't keep, or get engaged, you don't keep that to yourself. You put pictures online, look at my ring, you know, like it's this whole exciting thing because something significant has happened to you and now you're celebrating it. When, when we have birthdays, you know, there's this whole big deal, birthday parties, we celebrate. We're in graduating season. When, when you have a senior who graduates from high school or someone who graduates from college, there's this whole party process that we celebrate because, A, it deserves to be celebrated because something great happened. But also we want other people to know something great happened, right? And so we celebrate it. Now, one thing we started doing that's gotten a little out of control, guys, is this celebration of gender reveals, you know what I mean? Like, like when, when we had a baby, when Darla and I had, you know, Veda, I guess 13 years ago, like, like we, didn't, we didn't do all of this like crazy gender reveal stuff. You know what I mean? We weren't like sending out hot air balloons in certain colors. Like, like you called your parents and told them and they were really the only ones who cared. Like nobody else cared if you were having a boy or girl just as long as it was a human being. And so it was just kind of conversation over. And now we're like, we're shooting arrows through balloons. We're, you know, we got airplanes that are flying, crop dusting people with pink dust. Like, it's just this huge, exciting thing. And look, if you did it, I'm not judging you. Like, no, I'm not mad. I mean, you wasted a lot of money, but, it, but it's cool. Like, you were excited about it, girl. Do it. Let everybody know. You know, if, if we could have done it back in the day, Darla would have had pink diamonds flying in the sky. Like, it, she would have went all out. We would have had to mortgage the house just to tell you we were having a girl, all right? It was that big of a deal. But we just, there's something in us that wants to celebrate it. We want people to know, and it's the same concept with baptism. Now, let me ask you a question. When it comes to the gender reveal, does the gender reveal party dictate whether or not the woman is pregnant with a child? You can answer. It's okay. No. I'll help you out in case you're like, I don't know what that means. Um, if we did not have the gender reveal party, would it mean that all of a sudden the woman is not pregnant? No. She's pregnant anyway, right? She's pregnant regardless. In fact, the gender reveal party does not decide whether or not she's going to have a baby. The gender reveal party is simply celebrating the miracle that's already happening inside of her, right? This is what water baptism is. It doesn't decide whether you go to heaven or not. It's celebrating the miracle that's already happening inside of you. God has changed you. God has transformed you. There's something different about me. I don't know how. I don't know why. But I think different. I act different. I move different. I talk different. And because of that, I want to celebrate. I don't even know how to celebrate, but I want to celebrate. Dunk me in the water. Right? Put me in the water. I want to celebrate what he's doing. It doesn't save me, but it celebrates what's already happening inside of me. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change that has already occurred. It's already happening. 
but we're celebrating it. Now, I need to say this because I think it's important. What I want to make sure never happens, at least in Victory Church, when it comes to water baptism, is we have to make sure that the focus of water baptism is not on the church's evangelistic success, but on God's life-changing power. I want to be real careful for it to become something we celebrate because it shows the church is growing. Right? I understand it's a byproduct and I'm fine with it. But I want to make sure that when someone goes in that water and comes out, we don't celebrate, ooh, that outreach worked. We celebrate God's life-changing power. That that person is being changed, being transformed. Something's happening in them. They can't explain it. But who they were going down isn't who they are coming up. They are different because they've been immersed in Jesus Christ, right? That's the celebration. Uh, some of the team here at the church decorated. I have a little closet I go to Sunday mornings to kind of get my head straight. And they decorated it with pictures and different things. And, and there's two pictures on the wall, one of Casey Ray being baptized and one of Ada Bell being baptized. And every morning I, I worship and I look at those pictures and I'm reminded they weren't saved because of it. We aren't excited because the church did great because of it. I'm looking at it as God changing their lives. It's exciting. He's great. And I'm thankful that Jesus got baptized too. You know, Jesus could have been like, hey man, I created this whole thing. I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? But he gets baptized. And he purposely gets baptized. Because in his baptism, he identifies with us. He expresses his intake or his intent to take our judgment from us that we deserve. Watch this. The water doesn't save us, but the grace that saves us is brought to the forefront when we are baptized in water. When we're baptized, whew, the water doesn't save me, but when I'm baptized, the grace that did save me becomes the forefront, what Jesus did. In the Bible, Philip is told by God to go and to this certain area, and he does, and he runs up on this Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the law. And he says to Philip, he says, how, how can I understand this? How can I do anything in this in my life? I don't even understand it. And the Bible says that Philip tells him the good news of Jesus Christ. He tells him about the grace of Jesus Christ. And after he tells him about the grace of Jesus Christ, the first thing the Ethiopian eunuch says is, I need to get baptized. And Philip's like, okay, we can, you know, let's figure out, let's have a church service, let's get a tank in there, we can fill it up, we can put a water heater in there, we can get you a, you know, a, a we got baptized shirt. And the Ethiopian unit goes, isn't that water right there? <laughs> What's going to stop me from being baptized? In other words, I, you can plan it if you want, it doesn't matter. I just want to celebrate the fact that God is doing something great in my life. Every person in the Bible, it says they believed and then they got baptized. So if you believe and you're following Jesus, you should be baptized for two reasons. Number one, you should show everybody and tell everybody what God's done in your life. Second, there's nothing like, I wish I could explain to you, there's nothing like experiencing that, that, that illustration, that representation of when you get immersed in that water. I can still remember it was green and white and had a collar. It was the shirt I was wearing when I got baptized in because I didn't have clothes to change into. I just got baptized in it, and it was so amazing because I had been transformed by Jesus. And so because we're a church, we do have a scheduled plan. And I encourage you, if you have never been baptized, sign up and be baptized. 
Celebrate what God is doing in your life. Bring your family members here and celebrate with them so they may turn their lives over to Jesus and be baptized as well. Amen? Amen. We'll put a QR code up at the end of the service, and you'll be able to do that if you want. Sign up to be baptized. But baptism is the representation of what happens in Christ. And communion, the other ordinance, is a reminder of what happened through Christ. So in the Bible, there's an opportunity for the Apostle Paul. He's going to kind of set up and explain a little bit of what it looks like and the symbolization of communion. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, here's what he says. He says, for I received from the Lord what I am also fixing to pass on to you. So the Apostle Paul is saying, get ready, because what I experience, I'm about to pass on to you. And then he goes on to say, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So the night before the crucifixion, right? They're having dinner, and it was very common for them to gather around a table and have dinner, and they would break bread together. And it says that Jesus took the bread. It says he, he gave thanks for it. He said, God, thank you for my food, you know, whatever that prayer might be, going down. But anyway, and then, then he breaks the bread, and he looks at the disciples, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's saying this bread is the representation of my body. When I go to get on that cross and I die for your sins, this bread is the representation of it. So whenever you do this, remember me. And then he says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, I just told you, Jesus came in with this new covenant that you're not righteous through your own behavior, but you're righteous through the sacrifice and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, this cup represents the new covenant and so for whenever you, you, you drink of this and whenever you eat of this, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me because sometimes we forget. So, so do this in remembrance of me. And that's my favorite part. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, watch this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That word proclaim is the same word they use for preach. So here's what he's saying. Anytime you take communion, you preach. Anytime you partake of the bread, anytime you partake of the, of the juice, you are preaching. Well, who am I preaching to? Well, number one, you're preaching to the devil. You're preaching that you are saved by Jesus Christ. You're reminding him, which he doesn't need any remembrance, trust me, but you are reminding him that you are saved by the blood of Jesus every time you remember what Jesus did. And you're also preaching to you because sometimes you need to be reminded that it's not your efforts and your performance, but it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that makes you saved. Sometimes it's real easy, right, to get caught, on, caught up with life and things happen and mistakes happen and days go by and you forget that you were immersed in Jesus, saved by Jesus, restored by Jesus, given purpose by Jesus, empowered by Jesus, and set forth on a mission by Jesus. And when we partake of communion, we are reminded, oh yeah, it's not my actions, it's Jesus. It's not what I'm doing, it's Jesus. It's, it's a moment of remembrance. Sometimes we get too far away, right? We get too far away from Jesus, what he did, how he died for us. We slip into a thinking that it might be about our efforts that save us. When we take communion, we're reminded. In a minute, we're going to take communion, but I want to tell you one more story and we'll close. Darla and I used to be a part of a ministry called the Discipleship Walk. 
and it's a, it's a discipleship ministry, two and a half days or so, just a powerful, powerful ministry, uh, just, again, full days of, of messages and, and all kinds of things, and they would separate them in male and female, so you had a male discipleship walk, and you had a female discipleship walk, and all throughout the weekend, there was all these cool things they did. Well, there was this one moment in the weekend where they would bring you into the room, and I was the spiritual leader. I had another spiritual leader named Chad Hampton, Pastor Chad. We were the spiritual leaders. And they'd bring us into a room, and we would have a basket with bread. And so we'd go around, and we'd take the bread to every person, and every person would tear off a piece of bread. Boom, 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 until the bread was gone. And then we would go, and we set the basket at the altar of the room. And the individuals that were in the room were told to get up, pray, we'd worship. And then they were encouraged and invited to come down to the altar and pray. And what would happen all the time because of the way the weekend was designed, and you'd come to the altar and you'd start praying about your sins, about your shortcomings, your failures. And when you came down to pray, you had your piece of bread, you put it in that basket. So you put your piece of bread in the basket, and you kneel down at the altar and you started praying. And it would just be an altar of men crying out, an altar of women crying walking through all their sins, all their mistakes, just boo-hoo crying. It was amazing. Worship, it was just, it was so thick with the Holy Spirit. And one by one by one, the men would get up and go back to their seat. And once everybody was done, Pastor Chad and I grabbed a bowl of bread. And we went over to the first guy, and the guy, first guy would pick a piece of bread out. We'd go to the next guy, pick a piece of bread out, piece of bread out, piece of bread out, piece of bread out, piece of bread out. Because what's going to happen is eventually when we get to the last person, they'll get the last piece of bread. And then we'll go through and actually partake of communion. And they'll eat their bread, eat their bread, eat their bread. And then I'll get up at the end and I'll go, remember when we started this? Remember when you were holding your sins in your hands? You were crying over your sins? Remember the basket that was full of your sins? And then we turn that basket all dramatically. You know, where is it now? And people, ah! It was amazing. Because the sins you were just crying over, right? The things you thought God was never going to forgive you for, they're gone. They're gone. So one time, Chad and I get up and we're going through and some guys had got really aggressively <laughs> and they had, they had pulled some large pieces of bread off and put them in the basket. And, you know, right when that happened, we were like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, I don't know who's eating that, but, you know, it's a lot of sins. So then when it came time to give them the bread for communion, what was happening is the men were picking up the big piece of bread and tearing a little bit off and putting the big piece back in the basket. So if you're following along with me, we got to the end and we still had a basket full of bread. And so the men are worshiping and we're standing behind them. And as soon as this worship song's over, I got to go up front and go, where are they now? And I'm looking at Chad. Chad's looking at me. But I'm a problem solver, baby. I said, well, this has got to happen. So we just started grabbing handfuls of bread and sticking them in our mouth. We had chipmunk cheeks, you know what I mean? We're just like, shave it again. And we're, we're like choking to death as dry bread trying to go down our throats. You know, we're trying to drink all of Jesus's blood just to be able to get rid of this bread. And finally, I mean, I'll never forget looking at Chad's face while he's just trying to chew all this bread. Finally, we do it. And I go and be able to get in front of everybody and go, your sins are gone. It was a great moment. And it's a funny story. And normally I would just tell you that story as a humorous moment. We would laugh. But as I was writing this sermon, for some reason, the Holy Spirit brought that story back to my life. And here's what he told me. It may be funny, but that's still what I do. That's still what I do. 
Because sometimes, sometimes we believe God forgave us for these sins, but now we've gotten older, and now we've fallen into stuff again, and we think it's possible that there's some sin in the basket that Jesus forgot. And sometimes we just need a reminder that Christ paid for it all, every bit of it. And I could just see the Holy Spirit going, I'll still grab it and stuff it in my mouth and do whatever so that you can see that where is it now? Where is it now? Every time we partake of communion, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ died for all of your sins. He died for your 16-year-old sins. He died for your 23-year-old sins. He died for your 37-year-old sins. He died for the sins you hadn't even walked into yet. Why does he need to climb back up on the cross? No. Did you see what Romans 6 said? He died once. He don't need to do it again. But sometimes we need a reminder, church. Do me a favor. Everybody stand in this place. Chris, I'm going to invite you up. Sometimes we need a reminder. Because, hey, life gets hard, right? Start trying to do stuff on your own. Everything's falling apart around you. And if we're not careful, we can forget that Jesus has always been there from the beginning and he'll always be there. We can forget that it's because of him. We've been immersed in him. And in every situation we're experiencing, his presence is there. So why are you water baptized? You're water baptized to not only tell everybody that you've chosen to follow Jesus, but to experience the representation of you being immersed in Christ. Why do I partake of communion? To remind you that you've been immersed in Christ. To remind you that you're not on your own. To remind you that no how many times you failed or mistakes you've made. Jesus died for you, forgave you, and that you are righteous in Jesus Christ. That the one who authors your story has already finished it, and it's good. It's good. You just got to remember. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity. We're going to throw the QR code up for a second in case you want to scan that. And if you want to get signed up for water baptism. There'll be an opportunity here in a second to just give your heart to Jesus. It's going to be a great moment. But I thought it'd be so cool to just have a second for all of us to partake of communion together and to just remember who we are in Jesus, to remember what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Chris. As we prepare for communion today, if you have not received an element, just simply slip up your hand one of our attendants will get that to you. You're online worshiping with us today. Grab some crackers and some juice and let's go with this. You know, it says it's a time to remember. But you may look and say, I've never given my heart to Jesus Christ. Let's fix that right now. Would everybody with me just repeat this prayer? Father God, I give my life to you. I believe you died for me and rose again. And my sins are now forgiven. I accept your free gift of salvation, your grace, your love, your mercy. I don't deserve it, 
but you gave it to me anyway. Be my Lord and Savior now. Amen. As we partake this morning, I was thinking about our outlook on things spiritual. And so often that as we look at things differently, there's a shift in our perception and our perspective. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he bridged the gap between man and God, restoring you and I back into himself. And in that moment, as he hung there, there was an exchange that was being made. His life for our sins. The scripture records that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where would we be today if this exchange had not taken place? We would be at the end of our lives crying out in a very forsaken place. But we don't have to, you know. Because in that moment, in that sacrifice, as his body was broken for us, as his blood was shed for us, that exchange was made. That redemption took place. And now we don't have to cry out, God, my God, why am I forsaken? But we can cry out with a loud voice of thanksgiving and say, My God, my God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for covering me with your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your provision, your healing, your new purpose on my life and eternal life. As we celebrate this communion today, we shift our perspective and think of that exchange. That he exchanged his life for our sins. So that we don't have to come worried or questioning in the end of our life. But we can come boldly before the throne of God and know that we have an identity that is anchored in Christ. Amen. That is unshakable. Not one that comes before Him and is a convicted person or is a guilty person, but as a child of God. Can I get an amen this morning? Would you take the bread with us as we partake? Lord, as it was intended, broken for us. And as you prepare that cup, it represents the precious blood of Jesus Christ, whose work is complete. Amen and amen. Nothing that needs to be added to it. It's all in all for everything that we need. Can we partake? Lord, we thank you for this time of remembrance. Lord, of what you've done for us. Lord, that even in this last few minutes, we can lift our heads toward heaven with confidence of knowing who we are because of what you've done. Our identity is not in our past. Our identity is not in what someone has said about us. Our identity is not in the lies that Satan has tried to speak over us, but our identity is because of who we are, hidden in you as a child of God.